You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dominic Romero. Um, Romeo. God. Almost. Almost. <laughs> Almost got through it. Yeah. Do you go by Dom or Dominic? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever you prefer is okay with me. Cool. I'm just going to use short form because Dominic Dom is easier than Dominic. He won't sound like my mom. It's good. <laughs> okay. it won't be, yeah, we won't be super formal on this podcast. How about that? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, Dom has done a list of things. Uh, he's got a pretty interesting story. you got a pretty interesting story. We'll get into that. But most currently, you are uh, you're playing guitar in a band called In Rain. And you guys have an album coming out on the 14th of July through Relapse Records. Uh, The title of that album is The Way of All Flesh is Decay. And that's basically uh, why you're on here today. But we're going to briefly talk about that right now. But I want to get into some other things about your past and, you know, what you've done, you know, in the the last couple of decades. So, yeah, In in Rain. uh, In Rain is kind of like this weird pseudo super group for like hardcore, uh, you know, so how did that all come come together? Um, it kind of came about as a pandemic project. I had an idea, a lot of time on my hands, and uh, <laughs> went through a very difficult stretch, as I'm sure a lot of people were. And um, I had this idea. I was bored. I was writing songs every day. I think I was watching. I watched a lot of Kiss videos because it's my favorite band. I mean, you know, Kiss videos, and there's uh, something Gene Simmons said once about how he writes a song every day, even if it sucks. And, you know, I'll leave the ratio up to the, you know, in the eye of the beholder of what it, what that would entail. But I thought that was a cool idea. And I started writing a song every day. And the idea was to take the most interesting ones and send them to different people that I'm friends with and just, you know, just do them remotely, send them back and forth. And at the end, just dub a bunch of like Max Sell cassettes, like an old mixtape, like, mm-hmm. you know, old, so like in the 80s, we would make each other tapes of all like the stuff that we thought was the coolest, you know, and have like a handwritten cover or you draw some artwork and list the songs, whatever. And that was kind of like my idea. That's how it started. And about four or five songs into that, I sent Mike what was uh, House of Thieves on the record. That Chromex record had just come out, that newish one uh, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I love anything that has Harley Flanagan and Rocky George on it. Count me in, you know, Great duo, in my opinion. And I was really excited about it, but I kind of wish the sound more like Best Wishes when it came out. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Me and Mike were just, you know, kind of talking. I'm like, what if, you know, if, if we were in charge, if we ruled the world, what would this record have sounded like? And uh, that's how House of Thieves came together. We're like, let's write a song that sounds like Best Wishes. You know what I mean? Like that we thought would be cool. 
And we bounced it back and forth. Mike didn't really know how to use a recording interface at the time, so he just yelled into a pair of headphones. <laughs> this was on the demo version of it. But, uh, I mean, it came out awesome. It was really intense. I think Harley would approve. Yeah. Uh, you know, we just kind of went from there. We're like, let's do more songs. And uh, that's when the mixtape kind of got off the rails. And the four or five songs I had started, each spiraled off into their own band. So and Rain ended up becoming its own whole different thing. So we did a bunch of songs. And we worked on that for about a year to my concept of time is shot. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah, for sure. I don't know, from down most of the time. But uh, yeah, so that was the idea. We were just kind of bounced stuff back and forth. And then um, when I decided it was going to become a real thing, that we're going to go into the studio and record it, I had to uh, set a few rules for myself. Because um, as a songwriter, I've always been a person that kind of, I take like a cinematic movie approach to when I make a record. There's like a definitive start. There's a definitive end to the record. And then I kind of fill the space in between with what the movie, if it was a movie, what the story would be. You know, it's a lot more like, it's a totally different approach than what I did with End Rain. With End Rain, I totally went ACDC and just tried to go straight first chorus with everything. I wanted to like you know challenge myself to do it differently. Mm-hmm. It was a big point of contention to make sure all the songs had verses, choruses, and were kind of structured in that classic format. And I think it, it was it did a great service in the end. But uh, so with that in mind, um, we decided we're going to record at a place we never recorded before. That was my other rule, and that's when we decided to go to. Len in New Jersey, he does yeah. uh, Carmichael, he does Landmine Studios it's out in Ewing and Len's always just been here to help with like integrity stuff and pulling teeth stuff like random little things I had to do in a pinch, he's always been there and I'm like, you know what I really like working with this guy it'd be cool to like, you know, go all in and try to do something together and see how it came out and he was awesome, he was amazing uh, real patient because we're all like really, you know ADHD, million things going on, old dudes that live all over the country. So it's like yeah. he was able to keep it all together for us, which was really cool. And then that takes us to the band guys, which was uh, the drummer was first, was Adam Jarvis, who I worked mm-hmm. together for years. We used to work at Guitar Center, like in the, <laughs> the early to mid 2000s. Me, him, Mitch from uh, Neolithic and Pulling Teeth worked well, there. Adam's in Pig, uh, Pig Destroyer and Misery Index, too, correct? Yeah. Scour and uh, yeah. Lockup. He's like in every band. <laughs> this is like when Pulling Teeth and Ruiner and like Misery Index were kind of like newish bands. I think uh, Netherton and Sparky had just left Dying Fetus and started out. It was like, you know, it was like the early, early version right. of all. And we'd always be like, it'd be cool to start a band sometime. That was a great place to work. There's a lot of wild stories from there, that era. Um, Share one. Really let's go. Let's, let's, I mean, let's get one. Let's get, let's get like an old school working at the music store story between you and Adam. I mean, we used to just like. All right, so on the first day, I uh, worked there. And, you know, keep in mind, Mitch is like my little brother. He was pulling teeth with me. He's like one of my best friends. So he gets me a job there because I needed something to do between tour. You know, it was like, we're young dudes, don't really care. It's not really career-driven. We just need, you know, a paycheck and, and health insurance. And, uh, you know, we get there on my first day, and he introduces me to our boss and, you know, makes some smart-ass comment. Like, you know, he's here, have him go clean the bathrooms. <laughs> you know, and they're like, joshing and ribbon and doing whatever these dudes do and i'm like ah, yeah <laughs> and uh decided i was going to go into the bathroom and fill a rubber glove up with water thinking that it would have the same effect that a water balloon would have yeah if you were to water balloon at someone you know get soaked and it's all good but what i didn't know that is a rubber glove is a different uh consistency and it doesn't really work that way 
So I went back and I'm like, bathroom's all clean. And then Mitch is like, ah, 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 you know, you should do this next. And him and my boss are laughing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really funny. And I drove back and, you know, took a big swing at Mitch with this rubber glove, thinking it's going to just soak him in front of everyone. Everyone's going to laugh. But what ended up happening was the hand just got bigger, bigger, <laughs> bigger, and bigger, and just knocked Mitch across the room into the wall. <laughs> this is my first day working there. First day my boss has ever met me. And the whole, like, reaction was just like, uh... <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's kind of like, who is this guy? Why do we hire him? Thin ice already. And, yeah. And from there, it was just all out war. It was just like, you know, fake ads for different bands with Mitch's phone number. If Mitch was usually like, you know, my my, uh, my target most of the time. <laughs> I tried mailing him to another store once. It was just, it was a fun place to work. I don't think we got much actual work done. Interesting. But, anyways, going back, back, back to the, yeah, back to the lineups. You have Mitch Adams. Yeah. <laughs> Jarvis was, uh, you know, I, I texted him. I'm like, hey, would you want to do these songs with me? I'm bored you know I got, i'm stuck in my house i don't know what to do and he's like dude i live like down the street from you he literally lived like a block away from me at the time and i had no idea because we hadn't talked in a while mm-hmm. and um you know so we started getting together and hammering them out which was great easy he's a pro you know and uh so yeah the original plan was it was just going to be me and jarvis recording all the music i was going to do all the guitar and bass that's what i did in integrity most of the time mm-hmm. during my my tenure with them and that was it. And then, you know, a week before, I'm like, whoa, I already got Jarvis. I already got my score. If I could have anyone in the world play bass, who would it be? Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this, give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. You know, and I thought about it. I was too afraid to ask Harley. <laughs> but uh, I decided, you know, one of the greatest bass players, in my opinion, and most interesting musicians, most coolest bands from my favorite era of music, which, you know, is that 90s section of hardcore, was Art Leger from Bloodlet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hit him up and asked him if he would want to do it, and he was kind of iffy on it. And, uh, it was around that time Bloodlet and him parted ways. Bloodlet ended up uh, reconfiguring their lineup. They needed guys that can actually go out and play. Yeah. Art's like a recluse. He doesn't leave the house much. And the guitar player had moved. So they were like in the middle of a, a shift of, uh, of members and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know what's going to really make those guys re- really get their go? You know what I mean? You should, you should come do this record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Some fuel to the flame there. Yeah. You know, I, I had to lure him with, with a touch of evil. Oh, speaking of which, are you familiar with the Judas Priest song, A Touch of Evil? Mm-hmm. I've always wondered, is it like a touch of evil or is it like a recipe? Is it like a touch of evil? Is he adding a touch of evil? I think it's probably a touch of evil, like a recipe, right? I, I like to think that, you know, he's in the kitchen. Not evil enough. It calls yeah. for a, a little touch. A touch of evil, a, just know? a dash, you know? Yeah, just a pinch. <laughs> <laughs>
these are the things that I think about. Yeah, no, but anyways, I get it. ADHD, I understand, man. Coming back. <laughs> um, so yeah, Art was like, you know, was all all aboard. He learned all the songs in about a week. Came out and knocked everything out like a total pro. Me, him, and Jarvis went up to Jersey. We stayed about four days in this weird farmhouse that was in Pennsylvania, just outside of Ewing, and we just lived. We just lived in the studio for like four days and, and knocked everything out. And the remaining period of time was, uh, you know, we all work full time, have kids. I mean, most of us have kids, but uh, we were never able to all be there at the same time. So it would be something where I would drive up, do a bunch of guitar stuff, and then Score would drive up and do a bunch of vocals, and we'd always crisscross and never really catch each other until mm-hmm. the end. We were able to get together once and hammer out all the, the little bugs and stuff that needed to be done. And then it came time for solos, and I was like, started doing, you know, my thing. I'm an okay guitar player when it's like doing Dom stuff, you know what I mean? I'm <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. But I'm not like, you know, great by any means on the grand spectrum of things. And there's a lot of stuff I wanted to do that I'm not really physically capable of. And that song Chasing Divinity was the perfect example. So I'm like, man, I really got to get someone that can do what I have in my head here. What, you know, who am I going to ask? And uh, Sebastian Phillips from Noisem and uh, Exhumed came up because he's an old friend yep. you know, he's a little kid he's a musical prodigy you know and uh, I didn't even tell him what to do I just sent him the song and I go tell me what you think and what he sent back was so good that I like fell out of my seat laughing it was like just like it was too perfect it was exactly what I had in my head and I was like you have to join this band I'll wipe out half of my solos and give him half give you half of the space the real estate you know do whatever you want and everything he sent was amazing you know what I mean it was a perfect fit so that's kind of how the story of how the band came together, you know. Mm-hmm. If you like our bands, you might think that's a cool story. If you don't know our bands, it's probably going to suck. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's for you know, for someone like me that likes all the bands that everybody was in, I think it's pretty cool. And maybe, well, yeah, of course, maybe there's someone else out there too, you know. Of course. And um, is this like something? Is this project something that you're going to like one day play live? Because you were saying like art's kind of like a recluse and. Uh, this out of the other and everyone lives lives separately and does other things outside of you know this project but like do you think one day you'll be uh, playing live shows or is that in the near future we made a rule it's like a pact when we when we did this that there's gonna be no scabs ever so it was either five of us or we're not gonna do it right which also raised the bar really high as far as availability goes because <laughs> it's never <laughs> at the same time so it's kind of open ended you know what I mean if it works out I would love it there's nothing I would love more than to do it but at the same time you know, I like SOD a lot more when they didn't play shows either. So yeah. it's like I'd rather keep a, an air of mystery to it. Kind of sounds, and, uh, yeah. Kind of sounds like it's either that or just like some festival appearances here or there. It's, it's you know, it's worked out the opposite because I feel like you know, the 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 and I think this is crossed over from regular society as well. It's just like work harder, work harder, work more, which is all fine and good. But then it's ended up being this huge homogenous pool of like. Endless availability, you know. What I mean, there's nothing that's just like out of reach. That's always going to be out of reach. Yeah. Like I said, I'm probably one of three people that would care that it's out of reach. <laughs> it's like you know. So part of that is alluring to me, and I think that would be cool. But you know what? If the right opportunity comes along and the stars align and we're all available, sure, I would love that. Playing with those guys was a blast. Interesting. So how does that? Uh, so how did uh, my my next question was how did you kind of link up with Relapse because you guys released some singles like uh last february and then like in later in the year august september time frame or in the fall or whatever you guys announced or relapse announced that you guys were signed to them um well, how does that play into like how does playing live 
play into that deal or did you know were they aware of that prior to well, they're aware going in yeah you know what I mean? it's just like it's a very uh i don't want to call it low maintenance in, in, in the sense that it's cheap in it but as far as like low maintenance guys and expectations go that's us you know what i mean we just were happy to have somebody put it out mm-hmm. and get it out there and get it to as many people as possible and also relapse and translation loss have a lot have their hands in a lot of our previous bands so they're kind of built in and what I have going on with A389 and with Integrity at times is like, you know, it's all, all the hands are in the right pie, so to speak. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask, because like, obviously, we were going to get into it, but you are A389 as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have at your disposal the ability to put the record out as well. So that was one of my other questions was like as to why, you know, go with Relapse when you could put it out yourself or what was the thought process on that but you know just no no time to to break a new band honestly it's like uh i took a break i think i ended the label formally i don't remember if it was 2014 or 16 is like like i said time's a blur i'm getting old but uh it was was, yeah it must have been uh like 15 or 16 i had joined integ at the time i was like you know i I can only put my i have three kids they're young and it was like i can only put my eggs in one basket right now Mm mm-hmm and integrity is just as much as playing music and going out. It's not really. When I was doing A three and nine at its peak, I would work an eight hour job, come home and eat dinner, put my kids to bed, and then I would go to the warehouse and pack orders until three or four in the morning, sometimes all night, and then just go back to my other job. It was an insane time. That was like peak, like two thousand eleven to fourteen. That was like went full of hell and like yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those records, those first bands' records were coming out. First, yeah. Whatever. Anyways, yeah. But uh, so you know, it was a very uh, physically and mentally taxing endeavor. And when I came back to do the coldest life reissues uh, a couple years ago, the idea was that it was just going to be that. You know, it's just like stuff that I could work on the layout, get the audio. It's stuff that I could just do at my own pace, and it's not no one's waiting on it. Mm-hmm. It could be ready when it's ready. You know, and I think that's been really appealing. So. But what I was getting at was during that window I was absent from releasing records, like a lot changed. And adding COVID, a lot more changed. And like things move incredibly fast. And dropping a new band out there is literally like dropping a, a paperclip into the ocean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then gone. And uh, maintaining that sort of presence is just not something I'm able to do given the life that I live outside of music. And, uh, Thankfully, with relapse muscle, you know, hopefully it's uh, yeah, <laughs> a paper clip into like a pond or like you know a reservoir, something a little less daunting. Well, they're that. getting the they're getting the PRs out there, so you know what I mean. Like, yeah, they do a great job. I'm totally uh, appreciative of everything. Yeah, they're on top of it. Well, um, yeah, the record comes out in well a month from today, actually, because it's the 14th today. So, you know, July 14th, which is I guess four weeks from now. So you're listening to this a month after. Oh yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, go pick up the radio. Uh, go pick up the uh, album, or if you already have pre-ordered it, it's probably already at your doorstep sometime this week. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of wanted to get into some other things outside of In Rain, if you don't mind. Absolutely, whatever you want. Yeah, I wanted to start out with the uh, A three eight nine label stuff. Was sure. did, did that come first, or were you in bands and doing music first? Oh my, no, I was doing bands way before that. I've been doing bands since the early nineties. And uh, A389 didn't come about till 2004. Mm-hmm. So uh, my lineage is a little uh, scattered. I was uh, I grew up in Toronto. I mean, I can do a quick recap. If yeah, you want. just go ahead because some of the some of the listeners aren't going to be aware of it in general. So yeah, growing up in Toronto um, in the 90s, 
and uh, doing bands. Um, you know, things, there were just, you know, bands I kicked around with my friends until uh, we had a band called Dirge in the mid-90s. And uh, we would play around quite a bit. That's when I got a taste for touring. And, uh, you know, we played with bands like, you know, we were like a local band. We had a CD and a demo at the time, and we'd do stuff. We'd play with, like, bands that were smaller at the time, like Cryptopsy or Cataclysm mm-hmm. or, like, you know, younger Canadian bands. Soul small at the time, yeah. Machine. Small at the time. That's what was <laughs> you know, our world at the time. And right, it was awesome. no, no, I know. And what happened was on the road, Dirge had gotten into a, a bad accident in Quebec. Actually, I think it was after that Cryptopsy show or one of those French bands. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I got them confused. Forgive me. But uh, we ended up having to take some time off because we rolled our van and our drummer lost one of his fingers. And it was, it was a catastrophe. It was a big deal. And we took some time off to regroup and we came back. Uh, we started the band Day of Mourning, which pretty much became, you know, my most uh, prolific era. In, in my time that I lived in Canada and we played a lot with Day and Morning. We toured Canada, we toured the US, we did a ton of uh, all over the place. It was it was amazing. Um, but never made it to do a full US or Europe tour, which is kind of where things kind of got stagnant. And uh, of all people, I took an ad out. Uh, it was Brick to Life that took an ad out for a uh, it wasn't 25 to life, though. It was coming correct. Mm. And uh, keep in mind, this is a different time and a different Rick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How different? I'll leave that up to you. But, you know, it's a different time. And, uh, yeah, I took up the offer to go to Europe with him because I always wanted to go to Europe. So packed up all my, all my shit. I had $300. I had a backpack full of clothes and my guitar, and that was it. It's my name, you know, and I just got on a Greyhound and, and hauled ass to Baltimore. And, uh, yeah, I did that Europe tour with them and did a few shows before I was like, you know, this isn't for me. But I Did you last the whole tour? Did you get the whole tour done at least? Oh yeah, of course. You know. If I commit, I commit. How crazy I mean it had to have been crazy just to be out there with Rick. <laughs> it was, it's, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, not safe for work. I am sure there's a lot of NSFW conversation or, you know, stories from that yeah, time. But frame. it's also it's not the same guy that he is now. You know what no, I mean? Of it's course. A different time. And it was a lot more I like to think that it was a lot more innocent. It was hilarious. It was hilarious at all times. You know, there's a lot of like uh, classic Rick moments. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's like uh, I used to live in his uh, he used to live in this apartment above a, a liquor store in uh, I guess it's a neighborhood called Overly in Baltimore. I drive by it all the time with my kids. I'm like, that's the first place I lived when I moved here. But uh, so he had this whole reign of uh, it was this whole top of the building, which was like two floors full of like. You know, the dude was like had a collection of, to end all collections. So the whole house just kind of like store all his stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, me kind of being, you know, we were friendly, but I was still a stranger living in this guy's house on his couch <laughs> to protect his stuff. He was like, I was kind of like uh, delegated to one one part of the apartment, which was like when you come through the back door, there was like a little living room with a kitchen, and then there was a door to the rest of the apartment. And that was it, right? So I was like, I had this little room with a kitchen and a way out. And if I got out and he wasn't home, I wasn't getting back in. Oh. I was sleeping on the pavement. And I had moved here and I didn't know anybody. And it was just kind of like, you know, it was, it was a wild time. But How old are I mean, you at this time? Pardon me? How old were you around this time? Oh, geez. I would have been in my early to mid-20s. Okay. You know, and like, all, all I was like, you know what? It's a chance. I, I like 25. Everyone loves 25. 
at the time, you know. But uh, God, it must have been wild coming from Toronto to Baltimore, though. It was uh, in general, it was like in general, culture <laughs> shock, you know. And what year? What year is this again? Wait, like what years? You know what's funny is this was right after nine eleven. This was okay. maybe like a, a week or two after nine eleven. Wow. So, aside from the culture shock, America was in full force with like the full patriotic swing that came after nine eleven. Right, right, right. uh, I remember distinctly too. I'm bad. <laughs> distinctively, forgive me. I, I mumble sometimes. But uh, two things I remember that were like what the fuck moments for me was freedom fries. Yeah. <laughs> Remember there was like something where the French refused to participate. There was like some, they had some beef. They were just like, all right, you know, fuck yeah, you, so all the people that were going to McDonald's were like, I want yeah. freedom, fries. <laughs> freedom fries. And then, uh, seeing a TV show where they interviewed Scott Ian from anthrax about anthrax. Like the drug, not like the baby. Yeah. With anthrax. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, uh, I don't know. It's uh kind of fucked up. You know, he didn't really have anything to say. Right. So I'm just like, what am I, what am I doing here? You know? It was like it was wild. I'm like living on this dude's couch. Don't have a bathroom. I would have to go to Dunkin' Donuts to brush my teeth oh, in the morning. Wow. And if he wasn't awake, I wasn't getting back in. So I had to bring my stuff with me and be ready to just like you know, hightail it and do what I was gonna do for the day. But um, during that time, I made friends with Scott and Dougie that uh, I ended up starting the band Slumlords with. After that, mm-hmm. and uh, by then I was a little more established. No, I'm sorry. You know there was a little gap in between there if I'm going to be thorough where uh, the guys from Next Step Up were like Baltimore Legends they have this other band called uh, Wake Up Hold you know if you're local you would know I'm not sure how far outside of the reach that they, they, they really got aside from Europe because I did go to Europe with them too I ended up becoming a band where they would just go to Europe with bands as a hired gun <laughs> there you so, go Wake Up Cold after that <clears throat> then I came back I was like I need to start my own thing and that's when we started Slumlords and we got Jeff Perlin from Breakdown, who happened to be living in Baltimore. So I'm at a show, and I was like, you live, you live in Baltimore? I was like, Starstruck, because I love Breakdown, right? It was kind of nice. cool for me. I mean, Starstruck as you would be, finding, you know. <laughs> in the hardcore world. Yeah, in the hardcore world. But it was cool. And uh, so we did that, and Slumlords, you know, had a lot of great opportunities. We had to go to Europe. We toured. We kind of were like the first band around here that would like, kind of only do fests. Because we were the first, one of the first bands to pull the old guy card. Mm-hmm. So people wanted to play. We had a record on Locking Out. And, you know, we were able to do bullshit like positive numbers or sync with Cali or whatever. And, uh, you know, that was that was a great time. We got to do a lot of cool stuff, but with minimal amount of movement, you know. Reach a lot with moving little. But as that was winding down, I kind of started thinking about what I wanted to do next. And Pulling Teeth came after that. Mm-hmm. And Pulling Teeth was a band that went from 2005 to 2012. It's probably like you know my favorite band that I've been in. That was my my baby. We started that from the ground up. We had started uh, Pulling Teeth with the idea we were still all pretty young, and we wanted a band. If I wanted to make a band, much like End Rain, I created Pulling Teeth out of the idea of picking the best guys from all the local bands. Yeah, all yeah, the, guys yeah. the same work ethic as I did that we would get shit done. Because Pulling Teeth at its peak, like 10 inch Vicious Skin era Pulling Teeth would play like three shows in one night. If we're playing New York, and there was a show in Brooklyn we could play that night, and another show in a warehouse. We were there. We do nice. all three. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we was we will not sleep, and just just do it. You know, so the work ethic at the early era, the first half of pulling teeth was like sight to behold. It was awesome, and we did a lot of that. And I should mention that since pulling teeth started in 05, 04 is when eight three eight nine started. See, there's going to be some cross pollination. And before I started 8389, because Slumlords was playing those fests, like I mentioned, like in California and in Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, yeah. 
And I thought it would be a cool opportunity to get other bands out there that were in the same boat as us. I call it old guy bands. And we'd have bands that were like uh, Everyday Dollars, which was like uh, dudes that were in Killing Time and Uprise and uh, Dark Side NYC, which is one of my favorites. That was the reason I was interested because I love Dark Side. I love Rich. So we did Everyday Dollars, Seven Inch, and uh, Bring It On with a local band. And we, you know, Early Wisdom and Chains was another one. It was just more just like, you know, like older, older guy band stuff that we were using our leverage out there to <laughs> help these other guys get on people's radar, you know. But as uh, Pulling Teeth kind of, the tide shifted and Pulling Teeth came into the foreground, so did A39's direction, and it became, you know, kind of like a metallic hardcore. It became what A389 is known for. Like, those early years were like hardcore stuff, and then it became like all about metal, metallic hardcore, death metal, grind, whatever, you know, a little bit of everything. If anyone follows the label, they know it's like everything from, you know, like joke bands about Pulling Teeth's drummer (laughs) to I Hate God and the Black Dahlia Murder. Yeah. And like, you know, a lot of first records for a lot of bands that are really popular now. So, you know, that started in 04 and kept picking up steam as Pulling Teeth became busier. That was a vehicle to keep A3 and 9 getting bigger and bigger and using, I always reinvested, you know, I always thought if one of my bands is popular and people help me, I want to do the same thing. So I was able to do with A3 and 9 and like a lot of younger bands, give them their first shot at like doing stuff and getting out there. Many of which like, you know, Continue to do really great things, like full of hells, like headlining right, right, right. stage now. You know, I feel I mean? like every every couple of months I'm posting like some fucking co-headlining or headlining tour announcement from them. Like they, in the last like handful of years, they've been one of the busiest bands. I think they're I mean, amazing. They work at like a second and nine. Yeah, and they're like it's like when I think about like if all those bands are my kids, they're like the kids I'd be the most proud of because like <laughs> they made the most out of it. But again, the Noisem guys like ended up you know being in Exhumed and in Pig Destroyer and. In, one, Travis is playing Cavalera's band now on that yeah. tour they're doing for uh, Morbid Visions and Bestial Devastation, which is insane to me, you know? So it was cool to see a lot of bands take that first step with me and continue down the righteous path and still be at it, doing like, you know, doing what they do their way and evolving way more into what I could have given them, you know? So it was like, <laughs> I'm proud to be a small step on their yeah. story. Okay, so I was, was going to ask, like, what's your most crowning achievement is it a full of hell record or is it like a pulling teeth record or i mean there's a lot there's a lot of 839 milestones that like the pulling teeth hologram cover was a huge one because no one has ever done one mm-hmm. at that time and no one has ever done one like that since that was like the i mean people have done like a lenticular thing i've seen the nwa one i you say it evil for zagan i'm not saying it the backwards way but you know that was the second one that one that's like it's not as good but they did a lenticular cover for it and uh, it just kind of wiggles, but that whole moving two-piece artwork was like the only thing of its kind. And it was like, at the time, it was like a twenty or thirty dollars, twenty or thirty thousand dollar investment if you put that record out. Yeah. Just pulling teeth. This wasn't like like a Metallica, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Deathwish wouldn't do it. We were on Deathwish at the time, and it was too big of a, a risk because we, like I said, we weren't like one of their bigger bands. And I was doing the vinyl on A three eight nine, and I was like, you know what? If there's one thing that I can say about myself is if I decide I'm going to do something, I'll take it. I'll take it all the way, you know. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I remember going, have everything from getting Beckman to do the artwork that matches up to like, we had to have a consultation with Apple at the time to like they had one of their engineers help put that thing together, how it moves the way it does. And I remember launching pre-orders and being like, if this totally flops and nobody buys this shit, I'm going to have to like just work a second job in a warehouse for a year just to fucking pay off the debt. Yeah, but, yeah. 
took a shot and it, they sold out like right away, which is fucking great, you know. So that was really cool. As far as packaging, I think it was some of the more innovative packaging. They also had the pop-up center with the rats, which was cool. Like, I mean, that's like cool. That, for people who collect vinyl, that's like super cool shit too, you know. And obviously, you being someone who, excuse me, runs a label, you would you know be uh, piped into all that kind of stuff. So all the innovation and all the cool things, obviously, like it would make sense that you would be the one to do it. Years of Kiss worship came. came <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and. Uh, also, one of the cool things was like at the time nobody was really putting out shoegaze bands on hardcore labels. I don't want to like you know I'm gonna humble brag for a minute, but we might have been the first because so uh, you started yeah. that whole movement, huh? That and record, uh, it's called Dream Punks. I remember like they sent me a demo, and I'm like, this is fucking amazing. But what am I gonna do with this? You know what I mean? And uh, my friend Baron, who was uh, one of my mail order helpers at the time, was like, you should just put it out. And I'm like, Are you sure? What do you? I mean, I wanted to. It felt like the right thing to do. And I'm like, it's just good music. Good music is good music. And if my the label's audience is anything like me, which I always like to think, I'm making records or putting out records for the other me's out there in the world, kind of like how I, I look at it, then they would understand. They would appreciate it. And uh, it went off great. You know what I mean? That sold multiple pressings. And that led to nothing coming out of the woodwork and me doing a record with nothing who ended up having a really successful career after that. Yeah. Being an early step for them was you know another huge accomplishment. One thing I wish I did, that I tried to do and never got to pull off was I tried to press an N uh, Dream Punks pressing. Remember when you would buy like hockey cards? I don't know where you're from, yeah, but when yeah. I'm in Canada, so you would buy like you know a hockey card pack that would have the, the stick of gum in the middle. And I tried to press the N record on like that gum because it was like that shitty like like hard. Well, I mean, like it would get old and stale. Gum, right? Yeah, it would get old and yeah, stale so being in there. They can definitely pull this off, and I start I was in talks with them to do it. And they're like, you know what? It's going to ship and it's going to melt. And you're just going to end up with a bunch of records that you can't do anything with. So that never happened. In hindsight, I kind of wish I did like a smaller, like lathe cut type thing. We'd cool have an edible, an edible record was ultimately the goal. Mm. <laughs> so someone's listening and they want to take that idea have at it, you know? Just send me one. It just yeah, works I out. Do, I mean, on the bubble gum, that'd be fucking wild. Yeah, it would have to be like that 1980. It would have to legit be that <laughs> 80s bubble gum, you know? It's <laughs> been uh, dried out. Yeah, it's been dried and sitting for decades. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I Hate God was like a holy fuck moment. Black Dolly Murder was a holy fuck moment. It was like a lot, you know, but Integrity being my favorite band from like the hardcore realm for like the entire time I've been in a hardcore, getting to do with the Walpurgis Not 7-inch with them and, you know, forging that kinship where Dwight and I did a lot of stuff together after that moving forward was really cool. So that's like a really defining moment for me. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, as... A three nine is getting bigger, and all the late, all the bands are kind of finding success. We had the fest every year. Everyone would come to Baltimore for in January, which was huge. Um, we got Left for Dead to reunite, which was fucking huge. Another great milestone, you know, getting my hands on that discography and cleaning it up. Um, you know what? I got to jump ahead. It's our ADHD moment. The greatest milestone is yet to come, because we got the original master tapes for Cold's Life: Declination of Independence. Nice. And anyone who's ever heard that record came out in 2000 the drums sound like a trash can <laughs> performance is incredible but like the drums literally sound like saint anger it's like just a weird clicky it's a mess it's a hot mess and we were able to go in and fix everything we got taylor young to remix it oh nice cool it's fantastic so really excited about that but anyways going back when does that come out though um or hopefully you know? at the end of this year we got dying breed is coming up next the discography for dying breed from troy mm-hmm. and then the coldest life declination and it's kind of like the last thing on my grid <laughs> For now, you know, let's go back to just uh, gardening and shit. I don't know, figure it out. But uh, 
as uh, Fulton Teeth and Adrian and I were both culminating, I started having children. And um, that would have been 2010. And anyone that knows, you know, it takes a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. I had to quit doing bands and quit doing label stuff and get a real job that provided health insurance for my family, which, you know, wow, for the first time in 2010, that was the first time since like the 90s. I had to get a straight nine to five, you right. know? Yeah, bummer. Was a, you know, a, 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 it was speaking of culture shock again. Oh, it was brutal. You know what I mean? I don't think I had a friend at work. I've been at the same place for like 15 years now. And I don't think I made a friend at work until like 10 years into it because I just didn't talk to anybody. <laughs> I don't want to talk about band stuff with people you work with. You know right. what I mean? They appreciate like if there's a city paper article on the label or the bands and they'd want to talk about it and like ask me if I like Nickelback or whatever. Yeah, you know? that's like, the thing. It's like, they'll try to relate with you on music but they're relating on a, a, a much more surface level of music and you're you know we're way here at the bottom of the Marianas trench almost and I tr- it's like it. you, you, there is no there's no middle ground here <laughs> I, one of the greatest displeasures of life at my age is talking about music I like honestly loathe it like with anybody if anyone wants like I call it talk really talk like let's talk let's really talk you know mm-hmm. and you know they're like chop it up and chew the fat i'm just like uh you know i said i don't want to do it (laughs) but anyways so that all culminated and i winded down and 8389 came to an end because it was too much like i said i was burning the candle at both ends i was working like 20 hours a day between the two jobs sleeping for two or three hours at a time and it was just fucking miserable you know it was cool the accomplishments were great but just i couldn't keep up with it and ended up kind of like you know didn't leave any of my bands hanging. A lot of them went over to Relapse, which started my relationship with Relapse. A couple went to Southern Lord, and others went others, and others broke up, and others did other things. You know what I mean? It was cool. But it was around the time um, I had booked an Integrity show in 2015, and whoever they had playing lead guitar at the time, this was uh, after the Melnix reunion. The Melnix reunion was in 2014. No, it was 2012, because that was the big... The big one, I think. Jeez, I don't know. 2012 or 14. We might have to fact check that. I think it's 14. I'm almost sure it's 14 because that would have been 10 years. Melnix and Chris Hawthorne were in the band, so it was almost like the original lineup. And they did that as a one-off. And after that, it left with uh, having to find new members. And the guy they had ended up bailing on them like a week before they were going to do the show. And I was like, dude, I know all the songs. I'll play. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like a no-brainer. I've done so that with that Ringworm the, a couple times too. You was know, that the, like, was that the intro to the time spent there? Was that like, was that the foot in the door moment? I mean, we talk all the time, so it was really no. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, you yeah. stepping up to go like, ah, eh, fuck it, I'll just do it. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it with Ringworm a few times, and I was like, you know what? It's like those two bands' catalogs I know like the back of my hand, and we did it, and it was flawless. It was with the Jockin Brothers at the time; they were great musicians, so it was very easy to put together. Um, and we did that show. We did a few other shows. And that kind of evolved into what became the howling era of integrity, mm-hmm. which started out with me, Joshi from Ilsa and Twid, doing everything. And then, you know, morphing into Francis from Devil Master in the band. I'm sorry, Darkest Prince. And, uh, you know, uh, the sax man, everybody that came and went. And um, it was an amazing time. I've been an integrity fan since the 90s. So seeing. And being part of what was one of their more prolific eras as far as putting out music and playing shows, like we took that shit seriously. We like, practiced a lot. Yeah. We, like always tried to deliver. And like I think we, you know it was amazing as, as a fan. I felt like you know we did it justice, and it was really cool. How much and, of your? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
No, I'm sorry. What were you gonna say? I was gonna ask like, how much of your input do you think, like your personal and creative input on the record, led to that, you know, time of that that, you know, that time of the band. Um, I mean the the like whole the howling era, like you were suggesting. You know what I mean? Like you 50, were going. 50, it was me. You know, Dwight and I literally we we were a team right? during that era. It was literally we decided everything together, and we spent a lot of grueling hours working on that record it took a long time it nearly drove me insane you know but it was like it was worth it in the end it came out awesome and like we're both two very ocd um hyper focused but on different things so we would often like you know it's, it's a, one day is it's peace one day is war it's real intense but we were both really happy with the end result and i think it was a really it was a true crossroads of my musical taste and him coming together and like you know making something new that still sounded like integrity but wasn't a rehash of the other records you know no. it, was cool. it wasn't like humanity is the devil too return of the devil it was like you know something totally different <laughs> and cool and we did a lot we got to go to japan we got to go to australia and i remember coming back from australia with integrity and someone on the flight wearing a mask i'm like what's that shit about you know what i mean there's like little did i know that that was like the beginning of what your was new life about. your new life's yeah. coming sir total foreshadowing you know it's crazy and uh, I came home, you know, and the world collapsed. And I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote. I wrote a ton of songs. I wrote songs for a ton of bands. I still have like a, a surplus, a bevy, whatever you want to call it. Tons of songs that I'm going to eventually do if I get around to it. You know, time getting less and less. But once the world opened up again and it was time for Integrity to do things again, I had gotten divorced during the pandemic mm. and had my three kids a lot of the time you know usually this is a time where you know the support system was minimal so right right, right. my life looked totally different you know it was just like i did a lot of the stuff like originally like you know i always you know my kids were my top priority and i would shove everything else i had to do in between but this required a lot more of like being available in case right you know i just my it was a different totally different approach to life right it wasn't like someone else has got it covered I can do this and we'll meet up. It was more just like, you know, fuck, I need to be here all the time now. And touring went out the window. And that's when I just wrote a bunch of songs and then, you know, crossed avenues with Cold as Life and that kind of picked up. And Integrity picked up on their own. And they got new guys that are fantastic. You know, I mean, they sound better than ever. You know, Twid gets older and his voice sounds better. It's like, guys they got playing are way better than I am, you know, but it's like, it's cool to have been a part of it. And that takes us up to where End Rain starts, you know? This was the story kind of... Blossoms. It's like one of those Derek movies where it goes from the back and comes forward. Yeah. Books, but, yeah. I want to touch a little bit on a couple of questions because we kind of glossed over some stuff uh, with the with the label. Because you, you had so many, you know, like we said, like you said, milestones and big bands or bands at the time that would go on to do a lot bigger things. Like... What was the, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm assuming it was mostly run by you personally. Uh, like, how big was your staff at your biggest peak, you know? One. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, one, it was uh, Superior yeah. Alex. At, uh, Alex Cha, that is now the noise guy in Pig Destroyer. Mm. Um, you know, he was my right-hand man for many years. He spent many an all-nighter with me packing orders. And uh, I have to mention Baron as well. Um, Baron Kirkpatrick, he plays in a band called War Games. Another band called League Shores, local friend, great dude, you know, a great friend, and like just these are dudes out there like went above and beyond, you know. Yeah. They showed up, 
I was just happy to be there. Like, no problem. We pull in an all-nighter in a freezing cold storage unit where we had to, like, steal electricity from the next building. We'd roll in with, like, 20 extension cords and uh, mm-hmm. set up power bars, and we'd have these. Because, you know, they call it climate-controlled. But as soon as those lights go out and the staff leaves, that shit's dropping to, like, yeah. temperatures, right? No one's there to know. But we're in there, and it's, like, freezing. You know what I mean? Like, brutal. Like, we're in, like, winter coats, and it's still brutal. So we devised this plan to drive back home and get as many extension cords as we can and, you know, run them to the next building and uh, bring all these space heaters in. And I'll never forget, you know, we're like, I think it was Baron. Baron got, he flew too close to the sun. He's like, let's just turn on one more space heater. And he hit it. And everything Pops. blew. You know? Yeah. We're in total darkness and cold as shit. <laughs> no heat, you know, it was brutal. But these were the guys. These are the guys I surrounded myself with. And all, those, really- and all those people that were getting those records in, you know, weeks' time from you packing them would have no idea what you have gone no. through. <laughs> Oh, the blood, sweat, and tears, man. It's a story within itself, for sure. That's kind of funny. Yeah, those are always funny, like, when you look back about, like, you know, because I also have stories where you steal power for one one reason or another, so it's just funny, <laughs> you know, you think back on those times. <clears throat> but <clears throat> my question was going to be, like, at what level does a band get too big for, you know, for you? Like, like and as a label owner, you know, someone who's working with bands, is it more like... <clears throat> is it more like a proud dad moment or is it kind of like a, oh shucks, I wish I could, you know, kind of handle this going forward, but obviously I don't have the resources or time or, you know. It's a great question and it's a little bit of both. It's <clears throat> always bittersweet, you know what I mean? It's a little, little stab in the heart when, uh, when they move on, but it's also understandable. I think it's like, uh, I think about like a full of hell, for instance, they're like, there's no way I could have kept them with full of hell was becoming you know mm-hmm. well, however, like by the time i did those first two records and they were already like touring most of the year and just growing and growing and then i was still in the loop for the Merzabout collab i did the vinyl for that and uh chris bruni from profound lore an old friend of mine from canada small world in this in this music world but uh he ended up doing the cd and he took that next tier you know what i mean he helped them get like established on a, a, a somewhat of a middle tier and then you know i helped get them onto relapse when it, when it came around full circle again so you know I'm, I've always kind of been behind the curtain helping these guys out and it's you know I don't want anything for it I'm just happy to see my friends succeed and like guys that I know are really you know I could being a label guy and like I've been a label guy and a band guy for so long I could tell you like band guys are the worst they always <laughs> want something you know what I mean Yeah. and it's just like everyone's your friend because they want you to do something and then when you can't anymore you're not like you're, see, you know, see you later but uh yeah, you know, I just wanted to always make sure that those dudes were, like, set up and in a good place because I showed them everything I knew, which was pretty limited, and then it became something where they were showing me stuff because it was, like, the student that superseded the teacher, you know? Yeah. And Noisem was another one, but it burned out so quickly. Noisem went from, like, being teenagers they were playing, like, you know, the sidebar, which is, like, this little dingy 100 maximum stuff place. Like, it was, like, lo- local death metal bands. They were just, like, kids. They were in high school, and... uh they like skyrocketed to like touring with Carcass a couple times, being on the cover of Decibel. Shit was going big, big, big. Yeah, I mean, it was lighting in a bottle. Like to see them at that time was unbelievable. That first wave, like the Agony Defined era, was untouchable. And honestly, that's another one where you know I negotiated a contract for them in Relapse too. And by negotiated, I was like, hey, do you want to put this out? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm like this this mastermind. It was very just like so. So how's it going? You know, like push it. Just making sure they're in good hands because I right, knew. Right. Is it is it some, <clears throat> sorry? Is it something like 
you don't have the financial resources to like put out the amount of vinyl or the recording or is it like the marketing you don't have the ability for the marketing or, or yeah, like what, what is it okay so it's it was manpower manpower. the budgeting thing was never an issue because we could sell enough records to cover what needs to get covered and everyone gets paid you know what I mean but it's more like yeah how many times do you want to run the five mile track when you know you can do the 10 mile or the 15 or the 50 or the 100 you know there's no reason to set the ceiling so low and just exist in this little bubble when you can do, <laughs> accomplish so much more and full of hell's proof that you know, there's no limit to what you can do, and nothing too. You know, I've seen nothing do insane things, and like, yeah, no. I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a pride sting when you're like, oh, it's it's like a dad thing too, and you're like, oh, they don't need me anymore. You know, you get kind <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> bummed out about it, but at the end of the day, it's the right decision, and to see them succeed is really satisfying, and like to still like to still see those bands. When I see a festival and I see like a full of hell or nothing or still like top billers or integrity is still headlining stuff, it makes me feel good because I had like a small part in keeping that alive, you know? Yeah. And those bands mean a lot to me and their friendships mean a lot to me. So it was never really a business agreement, you know what I mean? It was always more just like a labor of love that like made us all a bit of money and like we were able to keep things going, you know? Yeah. When you think was, back, when you think back to early days, like, did you ever think like hardcore would be where it's at today? Like, like what was your, what was your for Like how long did you think hardcore w would last from like, you know, when you were a young kid, like how long, like, could you see the forecast? Like, could you see how long it could be? Or did you think it was going to stick around for another 20, 30 years? I mean, this is a, a I think I have a, few different tiers to answer that i think like it's a first off i'd like to say that it's a young person's game 100 <laughs> yeah. percent has the energy is it really a young person's it. game because it's <clears throat> there's no older people yet i mean because the you know as the as the time moves on those no, those no, younger kids are going to turn like you know i was saving that for the second tier okay 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 go ahead so i think it really flourishes when it's in the young person's possession when we were young we were like in our in, our, in that band dirge i was talking about and we were like kids growing up in Toronto, like, you know, like in high school. None of us had driver's license. We used to like take our all of our shit, Marshall's fucking stacks and drum sets onto the bus into the city, which was like an hour ride onto subway trains to play a show of Gasworks, which was, you would probably have seen in Wayne's World, the club yeah. we play in Wayne's World. Uh -huh. That was a Toronto that we would play at sometimes. But uh, yeah, like, so we would literally like have, you know, five of our buddies and all of us take all our shit. You couldn't pay me to do that now, right? But like when you're young, you have that hunger, You're right, and that's yeah. why it's a young person's game. I think like they wanna, they're 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 gonna sleep on people's floors. They're gonna do it. I did it, and I think it's it's magical. It's a magical period, and certainly at the same time it keeps it fresh. New people come in, and then there's the other side of the coin, which is like you know, and it, this is kind of a weird thing because yeah, you can make a career out of it. Many of my friends have, and a weird, bizarre twist of fate I have too. You can call it that, you know, a feather in my hat. I wouldn't call it a career, but <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I'm glad I can go see Integrity anytime I want, or I can go see Despise You, or I can go see Drunken Earth Crisis if I want to, right? But like, it's also like a weird backlash where people used to idolize all the old bands, and now there's like a real wild like ageism thing going on where it's like nobody wants old people like old bands but all the other people are like yo you guys are old you know yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's a real weird division I think I, 
it, it is a, the reason I ask is because I feel like, um, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way in some aspects, but hardcore is on like this very big like TikTok and Instagram and social media, and the younger generation have definitely gotten a hold of uh, hardcore in one form or the, or the other, whether it's through like a band like Turnstile <clears throat> or it's some kind of like mosh content, crowd kill content that they've seen, like normal, sure. like the normal audience has seen and they're like what the fuck is this so i feel like hardcore is in a it's a it's a big upswing right now and uh it's right, a lot it's, it's a lot different than when you know i was a kid those kids aren't going to care that there's an end rate record you know? <laughs> yeah. but it's like <laughs> at the same time you know turnstile universe is, is an amazing place and it's like i'm glad that that exists and like it makes me happy. It's, you know what i mean it's like you leave high school or you leave whatever life moves in phases and when you look back at your era and it's like you know it's like those were your that was our, that was like my time or your time and now it's like their time these mm-hmm. young kids they're having a great time and, and they're, they're still having they're still having beat down bands and you know crossover yeah. bands and stuff that aren't as big as Turnstile that they're getting turned on to but like what I'm saying is like Turnstile and the Taco Bell commercial just like sends them down a little rabbit hole you know it kind of nudges them down there yeah it makes <clears> me really happy for everybody involved you know what I mean it's like it's, it's it's kind of extension of just seeing other other people. It's like this is the dad part was like seeing other people's kids do well. You know? <laughs> so just like you know, it's like it's it's cool. It makes me really happy. And uh, but yeah, you know, it also kind of made like a weird like sub genre to hardcore where it's just like all these older bands all of a sudden have like a, it exists in a different realm. Yeah. And um, we're like the classic rock of hardcore, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. Like even like um, <clears throat> you know, like Hatebreed. I've been able mm-hmm. to like witness Hatebreed from like a, not an infant stage because I didn't I wasn't like an early person to the Hatebreed uh, you know cult but I did find them like right before uh, Perseverance and Under the Knife and around that time and stuff like that and then yeah. of course when Perseverance came out I was like fully on board but it's been interesting to see like bands like Hatebreed or like uh, other bands turn into legacy bands over time. Legacy band is a perfect way to put it. Yeah, and. Uh... And I never thought I never thought that I'd be listening to Hatebreed for twenty plus years. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're right. I didn't, I didn't think about it. It's wild, but you know, it's like I think a lot of people like you and I. Music connects you to a certain part of your life. You know what I mean? And I think that listening to like Hatebreed, the throwing the under knife seven inch on for me takes me back to being in the van with Dirge or with Day Morning. Yeah, with my friends at that time. You know, and it's like. I don't want to cheapen it by calling it nostalgia because they're making current music that's that's great, you know what I mean? And they're fucking hard workers and they're like, they set the bar for so many different things that mm-hmm. like can achieve as a band in this like, little microcosm. But you're right. And it's just weird. It's almost like, you know, like I said, it's like the, cla- the older bands are like the classic rock bands now, you know what I mean? We're the guys in the Led Zeppelin shirt and the Black Sabbath shirt trying to like smoke <laughs> pot on the school or whatever. Yeah. But like, I think me... I think there's room for all of it because I come from a, a world where it's like I never discover music when it's hot and new. Stuff like the yeah, the Hatebreed Seven Inch, like Integrity, when I was a kid and it was new, yeah, that worked out. But as I got older, I love finding old stuff that's new to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't get in a bath until like way after, you know, or like I'm in that mode right now too. A lot of those bands, because <clears throat> you know, and I've said this many times on this podcast, so I apologize. But you know early days early scene days when gatekeeping was still like very prevalent and 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 like a very big part of the scene i feel like um Mm -hmm. it made me not check out a lot of bands and then as time has gone on you know like 
obviously personal taste changed too. So I started rechecking out bands that I just didn't like back in the day. And then obviously like that opened up a whole different world. But then I started checking out bands that I like was like, oh, well, I wasn't like really allowed to like that band. But let me check it out, you know. And oh, that opened up a whole different world. So, you know, yeah, it was kind of it's kind of it's, it's kind of fun. Discovery, you know, like uh, a big one for me when I was like a teenager was Fishbone. I was just like opened the door to so much like ska and funk and like other genres that were like foreign to me at the time. I was a heavy metal kid, you know, I like heavy metal mm-hmm. and horror movies. And that was it. And like, you know, kind of like bridging me into that and then like hearing like uh, a band like Anthrax or Metallica that bridges me over to like uh, <laughs> MOD and DRI, which would bridge me over to Agnostic Front and, and Biohazard. And it's like, it was a constant, and it still is, you know I mean? I still find stuff I like that's old. Sometimes that's new. But I never find out when it's new and hip. I can never be the tastemaker that's like, <laughs> you know, it's always just like, I'm the last guy that's like, hey guys, if you like, you know, you heard this and like. Yeah, like 10 years ago, man. But it's okay. I think, you know, there's no rules. Do whatever you want. No, for sure. I, um, and again, I think it's awesome that, but I, I don't know if I agree with like, you think that the older bands are kind of in this different category for the younger kids. Cause I also think like <clears throat> one of the things is like, People in bands listen to like, I'm sorry, people that listen to these bands when they like listen to band interviews or podcasts or stuff like that, like that is their like album cover or thanks list or, or, or whatnot. Cause all that music is digitally ingested, right. or, you know, like, so they don't really get the whole, like where we had like sat with the CD for a while and flipped through the pages and the album artwork and all this kind of stuff where you see what band shirt he's wearing or what bands was, were thanked in the thank you liner notes and stuff like that. So <clears throat> I think bands, I'm sorry, I think fans of bands listen to like this, this type of online content and then they kind of search backwards that way too for what bands are like mentioning their influences are or bands they listen to. And I think a lot of like, I, I honestly think a lot of newer bands listen to a lot of older stuff because, you know, I don't know, but I've never, you know, I've never really met someone that likes Bolt Thrower, but everyone says they like Bolt Thrower, you know? So I love like, Bolt Thrower. Yeah, I, but like every new band, you know, like every new younger kid, I'm like, how how do you even find Bolt? Like, how do you even find Bolt Thrower? You know what I'm saying? I pretended to be sick at one of my best friend's weddings so I can go see Bolt Thrower twice. <laughs> <laughs> but they played Maryland Death Fest, so I, I managed to get out of there a couple of times and catch them. And uh, Integrity Were, were you in like your full on, were you in your full on like wedding attire? Oh, uh, no. I got a quick change of clothes, <laughs> but uh, oh man! And we played with uh, with Memoriam in uh, in Europe with Integrity once. When I met Carl, I told him that story. He was, he was amused. <laughs> I was like, "I love my best friend's wedding to come see you guys play." And he was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like, and, uh, but no, it's um, I agree with you on part of that, but I also feel like you know, and you know, this is gonna be some old man yelling at cloud shit. But <laughs> I think society has devolved where the attention. No one's gonna listen to a three hour album. Of course. Watch a three-hour movie. Uh-huh. I think like uh, social media and like Instagram and TikTok culture has made everyone's attention span shrink. They want the clip notes, you know. Yeah, I agree. A lot with of that. people are gonna really like absorb everything that music. I think our generation of people that like listen to music and really truly digest every last detail and like leaves you wanting more and like grab another branch off another tree and explore that. I don't want to say it's completely lost because I still meet people that are you know refreshingly of that mindset but right, i think right, right. like fast food you know what i mean i think more people want the instant gratification right i mean i think like, there's just more people out there so there's more people out there doing it i don't want to say the wrong way but you know 
that way. It's their way. Yeah, you it's know? that it's, way. It's, and that's totally cool. But yeah, like you're saying, the, the the attention spans are very short. And I mean, you see it in every every asset of all sorts of industries, not just like how can you get someone to listen to a whole record. So my friend, my friend Rich from Wisdom and Chains would tell me, put your best songs at the beginning, because no one's ever going to get all the way to the end. And I'm just like, no, fuck that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's a, this is my masterpiece. I'm going to lay it out the way I want it. <laughs> you know, and I that think, does suck too, because like you know, and you kind of see. And unfortunately, you do kind of see that in some kind of uh, right. in some albums layout, yeah. Whereas, like the the back, yeah, I'm sorry, the front half of the record is like just chop full, but then you get to the back half and it's not as good. Whereas, if like <clears throat> you sprinkle that throughout, those lower, mm-hmm. those you know, those not as good songs don't stick out as poorly, you know, uh, all together if they're chopped in between like singles or you know if it's struck if the album track was right. structured appropriately. But if you look at like a Spotify, like a, um, you know, stats, right? You always see the first songs have like the highest plays, and then it like kind of goes down. Oh yeah, no drastically. Oh, depending but, on the record, yeah. depending on the record of the band, yes. Yeah, but for the you know, like generally speaking, that's kind of how it goes. But I'm like you know, I refuse. I always lay out the record and plan it out. Where it's like, I a, a trade secret is I model every record after ACDC. How the hell? I always have. This is every record I've, I've ever been on. It kind of follows the same template as, as Highway to Hell does. Starts off strong, kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of like follows the same energy all the way across. And it's, it's something that, you know, that's always the standard. I think a perfectly sequenced album such as Highway to Hell is like worth its weight in gold. It's like the biggest, one of the, the best lessons out there is to find an album that like you can listen to start to finish and figure out why it is, you know, not necessarily in the, in the songs or the style, but just how it's arranged and like what keeps your interest, you know? Yeah. How big is how big of a uh, influence is Angus on your guitaring uh, your pa- your love for guitar and playing? First first person I ever that's why I bought a guitar when I was in sixth grade because of Angus Young. I saw the video for uh, Back in Black and on Much Music at the time, and I was like, I want to do that. And <laughs> dreamt of getting an SG, dreamt of being able to like you know to play like he does, and I still can't. But I mean, like it's still I got to do some pretty cool stuff, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. all right. You did okay. You did okay with it. Yeah. Cool. Well, Dom, man, it was been it's been a great uh it's been a quick hour. It goes by quick. Wow, I know, right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> it goes it's by quick. Well, I won't keep you for much longer then. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate no it. No problem, man. Yeah, um best of luck and you still you still are doing A389, right? That's still going on. I know yeah, we got right Dying Breed. Dying Breed Take My Soul, Give Me Grave is uh going to be out when this podcast comes out. You'll be able to if you if you love like uh fuck it's like the best qualities of like Hatebreed and Hundred Demons and Marauder nice. or like a newer band like God's Hate nice. is like fucking dying. I mean, dying, God's Hate named themselves after a Dying Breed song. If that gives you any indication of how right. great Dying Breed is, yeah, and that uh, majestic. You know what I mean? And then uh, we got that Coldest Life Declination remix, and you know, beyond that, who knows? Well, let's just wait and see. I guess cool. Maybe we'll know time the stairs. Cool, yeah, yeah, and uh, don't be so humble. Obviously, you have a thumbprint, a thumbprint on this little uh, hardcore lore as the you know the storyline of hardcore. So don't be so humble. You have a little saying and a little a piece of that. So you've done well, uh, well for your not uh, you've done well for yourself. You've done well for the community as well. You've done a lot for other people and other bands, and you know you should get a little. I'll give you a little flowers now. How about that? I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Check out In Rain uh, album drops this week. Uh, well, technically this week if you're listening to this, but uh, check it out. Relapse Records, sure. and uh, 
Yeah, man. Well, hopefully we'll see some in rain soon live, but you know, we'll leave that up to you guys or or whatnot. If it but, happens, it happens. Yeah. And it'll be really special. All right, festivals. Get to call. Nothing good. It'll be special. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, Dom. Have a great night. Thanks again. Take care. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.